Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. As always, if you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us uh, today. I hope you've been having a great uh, week. I hope you're ready for a great week. I know um, it's been a busy week for, for probably everybody, and I'm sure for a lot of you it's been a really stressful week as well. And I really appreciate Ron uh, kind of reminding us in the midst of all the things that are going on in this world to take our thoughts back to the cross and realize that uh, Jesus is, is alive and God's in control. So we're glad to be worshiping together this morning. Last week I, I put a, a, a broken mirror here in front of the lectern. And I used it as sort of an object lesson to try to remind us that when you look into a mirror that's broken and cracked, that what you see is usually pretty distorted and fragmented. And that if as a church body, as a family, we are split and we're cracked and, and we're broken, the image of Jesus that we're going to reflect is going to be distorted. And people aren't going to see the Jesus that's fascinating. Instead, people are going to see a very distorted image of Jesus and get little bits and, and pieces of Jesus. And I got to thinking after that lesson, if you were a guest last week, maybe the first or second time, and you heard that lesson, you might have went away thinking, wow, those guys don't like each other very much. You know, they obviously don't even uh, do very well in the same room, and they've got to talk about things like that. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Bay Area is an incredibly loving congregation. It's really a fun place to be and a fun place to, to worship. But I think we need to be reminding ourselves of how important it is for us to be working together as one. And I think now, more than ever, we need to be capitalizing on our strengths. I heard a story, it was told as a true story, I don't know if it is or not, but it was a college drama department that was putting on a play, and at one point in the play, one of the actors made the announcement, I descend into hell, at which point a trap door actually opened, and that actor was lowered down through the stage. One particular night, this play was being performed, and the actor couldn't go on, so an understudy went on in his place. But the understudy was a, a larger individual than the actor was. He gets to that point in the play and makes the announcement, I descend into hell. The trap door opens, the actor begins to be lowered through the stage, but he gets caught up right about here. So what the crowd sees is this guy from the waist up, still on the stage, and a voice yells from the balcony that says, Hallelujah! Hell is full! <laughs> I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news for you today. The bad news is there is no danger of hell filling up anytime soon. The Bible says, broad is the path that leads to destruction. Many there be who find it. The good news is there's still plenty of room in heaven. There's going to be plenty of room in heaven. same Bible also says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all men everywhere to come to repentance. And I got to wondering, can the same thing be said about us? Is there room here? I mean right here, in Bay Area. Is there room in this family? I'm not talking about parking places or empty pews, although somebody's got to keep track of those things. What I'm asking is, is this a place where people feel like they're home? Is this a place where we don't just open the doors but we really do kind of open our arms and open our hearts 
Is this a, is this a place? Are we a family that's welcoming? For our anchor text this morning, I want to use a very seldom read passage from a very often read book. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We spend a lot of time in Romans because it's such a powerful book. We spend very little time in Romans chapter 16. We're going to end up, uh, we're going to go back and, and look at some other sections of Romans, but, but I want to begin this morning with the very end of this book. The Apostle Paul is writing it. He's writing it to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Again, the Apostle Paul. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, servant of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronius and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Amplius, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apellus, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Greet Ashnerus, Flasian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nerus, and our sister, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Okay, first, my apologies for butchering so many names. Or maybe I didn't. I don't know. Who knows how they're pronounced? You know, that's, that's a lengthy section of passage of Scripture at the very end of a powerful book. And most people, most of us today, when we get to that passage of, of Scripture, we just kind of pass right over it. We don't spend a lot of time in those first 15 verses of Romans chapter 16. Just a bunch of names, most of which we don't know anything about, many of which we don't know if they were men or women. So we just kind of pass over that section of Scripture. We just pretty much skip it. But I will almost guarantee to you that those Christians in Rome did not skip that passage of Scripture. When they got that letter from Paul, they didn't just pass over that ending. They didn't just ignore all those names and all those greet this person, help this person. I understand that, or I, I guarantee that they found a great amount of joy in that passage and comfort and encouragement. I got a feeling they read that passage over and over and over again. Paul was on his third missionary journey at the time. He's in Corinth. He's writing to some Christians on the other side of the Adriatic Sea. People that he hadn't been there yet, hadn't been to Rome yet. But Paul understands, as he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, 
how important it's going to be for those Christians to work together. And he understands how important it's going to be for a active, vibrant church to be located in that part of the world. And he's going to talk about the same kind of things that Jesus talked about in that prayer that we looked at last week in John chapter 17. You can't read the book of Romans without realizing how focused Paul is on the unity of the church. Romans chapter 12, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans chapter 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans chapter 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that, remember Jesus said so that, there's a reason for this uh, unity, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring, bring praise to God. Paul understood how important it was for those Christians to be of one heart and one mouth. And Paul is going to say the same thing that Jesus said in his prayer back in John 17. There's a reason that I want you working together and living together. There's a reason why I want you to be of one heart and one mind and one purpose. Because when you pull that off, boy, you make God look good. You, you testify to the fact that God sent Jesus. Your unity, your harmony is a testament that Jesus is the Messiah. People notice that. People are drawn to that. And still, I, I keep thinking about how Paul ended his letter. How, how would you answer this question? If someone came to you and said, tell me about church, what would you tell them? How, how would you answer someone and say, tell me about church? For me, a lot of it would depend on who was doing the asking. If it was somebody that I didn't know real well, if someone came to me as the preacher, said, okay, hey, preacher, tell me about church. I very well might take them to the book of Romans, and I often do, by the way. Because Romans is, is such a powerful message about who we are and, and why we do the things that we do. If someone asked me, tell me about church, I usually take them to Romans. First three chapters of Romans tells us that we all have the same problem. This doesn't work. Hey, there we go. We have the same problem. The problem is sin. Romans 3, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. If someone wants to know about church, I say, here's the deal with the church. We're all sinners. We're all very well aware of our, our brokenness. I mean, we have all fallen short of what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. We've got a problem. All of us have a problem. And then I take them to Romans 4 and 5 that says we have the same answer. And the answer is Jesus. We've got a problem, problem sin, but the answer is Jesus. Romans 4 and 5 tells us that God sent Jesus as the Messiah to take care of our sinful, sinful situation, that, that His faithfulness is what saves us. You see, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We've all got the same problem. There's sin in our lives. We've all got the same answer, the same solution as Jesus. And then I'd probably go to Romans chapter 6. It tells us how to access that solution. It tells us how to access that grace. Where Paul talks about being a new creation in Christ through baptism. What should we say then? Should we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? And then verse 3. Don't you know, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I tell them at some point you need to be baptized. That that's where we access that grace. That's where we access that, that forgiveness. It's not an outward sign of an inward conviction. It's a participation. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. We're actually participating with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection response in obedience, to live a new life. And then I might fast forward to Romans chapter 13 and Romans chapter 14, where Paul is pretty specific. He said, you need to be defined by love. You need to be people who love. Romans 13, 8, be under obligation to no one. The only obligation you have is to love one another. Paul says, you've got to do this, okay? You've got to, you, this is your obligation, to love one another. If you ask me as the preacher, tell me about church, that's probably what I'd tell you. But if we were sitting in Starbucks and we were just two friends who knew each other fairly well and we'd had a lot of conversations before and I knew that we'd have a lot of more conversations in the future and you said to me, hey, Tim, buddy, tell me about church. Those points of theology that we just looked at, as true as they are, as right as they are, as precious as they are, I'm not sure that's where I'd start. If we were just two friends having a coffee, you know, I'd, I'd be drinking Diet Dr. Pepper, but if we were just two friends, you know, sharing a conversation, said, tell me about church, I think maybe I would start where Paul ended his message to the Romans. Look again at the people that Paul calls out by name and just how important they obviously were to Paul. Phoebe, a servant of the church. Priscilla and Aquila, fellow workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me. Epinetus, the first convert in Asia. Mary, she worked very hard for you. Androsius and Junius, they, they've been in prison with me. Amphiaitis, whom I love in the Lord. Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, Sachus, my dear friend, Epilus, tested and approved in Christ, the family of Narcissus who are in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa, who I think maybe were twins, right? Um, they work hard in the Lord. Greek Rufus, he's chosen in the Lord. Rufus's mother, who's been like a mother to me. Could you imagine being an older woman in the church and have Paul say, she's just been just like a mother to me. And then Paul goes on and lists over 12 more people. 
brothers and sisters by name. He said, these people are, are important to me. You know, we read that list and we think, wow, that must have been like, must have been like some super saints there in Rome. Must have been such a unique group of Christians. I don't think so. Probably not. I think they were probably pretty ordinary men and women. Ordinary men and women who had fallen in love with Jesus. And ordinary men and women who had fallen in love with each other. The people that Paul loved dearly. People that were learning to do life in the kingdom together. Like last week, today's sermon is focused on unity. And I can tell you everything that the Bible has to say about unity. But I also want to remind you of what you already know. I want you to take just a second and look around this room. Just, just go ahead and turn around, look around at who's here. I know it's going to be kind of awkward because someone might be looking back. Just take a look at who's in this room. This is your church family. These people in this room. When you have a child or a grandchild, these are the people who are going to be excited for you. These are the people who are going to come and want to see the pictures. Trust me, I know. When you lose a loved one, these are the people who are going to come sit with you. These are the people who are going to come pray with you. These are the people who are going to knock on your door with a, with a casserole. When something happens in your life, you're going to get a card from Melanie Rivenbark or, or Linda Robinson. When you're in the hospital, Harry McKay is going to come and visit you. He's going to have a prayer with you. He might even sing you a song. When a tree falls or a pipe bursts or a roof starts to leak, Jerry and Kathy are going to show up and ask what they might be able to do, do for you. If you're struggling with a relationship and maybe there's something, maybe it's a child or a spouse and you know, just, you're so stressed out about it, especially if you're a woman, Renee DeBose is going to pull you to the side and she's going to put her arm around you and she's going to give you some great advice. It's going to be biblical and it's going to come straight from the heart. Linda Miltner, Mary Shadwick, Claudia Richardson, Faye Brown, they love to give food away. And I love it when they give it to me because those ladies can cook. If you ask this family to pray for you, a couple weeks from now, George Klein's going to stop you in the hallway. He's going to ask you how that thing's been going and what else he might be able to pray about. Steve and Carol Ramonde somehow are going to know when somebody needs something. And Steve and Carol are going to take care of it. And nobody's going to know anything about it. That's my church. That's my family. And you don't get that from a website. And you don't get that from showing up a couple of times a year. You get that from living in the middle of it. You get that from experiencing it. You get that from, from, from living it. And I feel like the Hebrew writer when he lists the giants of faith in Hebrews 11. I don't have time to talk about the rest. And I know it's very uh, dicey, you know, calling out names. But trust me, I don't have time to talk about all the other people 
all the other men and women and young men and young women in this congregation that make life so right, that make this church family so strong. You know, the term community, it's a real buzzword these days in churches. Everybody's talking about it. A tremendous amount of, of literature has been published on the idea. And yet there's still this temptation for us to live in kind of a Pandora world. A couple years ago, my kids turned me on to Pandora music. I get to pick what I listen to. It's up to me. You know, the Statler Brothers, absolutely. Springsteen, yes. Dylan, most of the time. Jazz, never. <laughs> Classical music, not a fan. And if we're not careful, we start treating people that way. You're in, you're out. I accept you, I decline you, thumbs up, thumbs down. And yet Paul gives us this beautiful vision of a group of people with different backgrounds, different strengths, different weaknesses, working together, united in Jesus Christ, doing amazing things through Jesus Christ and pointing people to Jesus Christ. And that's something we can sell. That's something the world wants. Because I'm telling you, everybody's looking for a place to belong. They might not know what they want to belong to, but people long to belong somewhere. Henry Nouwen's a name that a lot of you are going to recognize. He was a very prolific writer. He's been dead several years now. But he, he left a, a teaching post at Harvard University to go and work in, in a home that uh, catered and, and served uh, mentally challenged adults. And he gave a talk to uh, the people in the home there one day. And after the talk, a woman by the, by the name of, of uh, Nancy approached him. And, and Nancy said, I want a blessing. And, and now one didn't know exactly how to respond to that. Because no one ever actually asked him that before in that context. So he said, okay, Nancy, um, I bless you. In the name of Jesus, I bless you. She said, that's not good enough. He said, you know, you're right. And he walked up and he put his arm around her. And he said, Nancy, we all love you here. Your smile, your spirit, you light up a room when you walk in. I can't imagine me living without you in my life, Nancy. I love you. And he looked up from where he was holding this woman and a line was forming behind her of people who wanted a blessing like that. And it wasn't just the mentally challenged people who were getting a line. It was all those people who were there to serve and, you know, and to care for them as well. Because who doesn't want a blessing like that? Who doesn't want somebody to put their arm around them and say, I love you. You count. You matter. You belong. On the simplest of levels, that's what church is. On the very simplest of levels, that's what church has to offer. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. I'm going to fall. I'm going to fail. But I don't want to be alone when that happens. I want to be surrounded by people who love me. They're going to help me get back up and point me back to Jesus. 
Before I sit down, I want to show you a video that I, that I, think, uh, I think says it pretty well. It's short. The world needs this. It's what we are meant to be. Humanity knows they need it and have always tried to create it. Clubs and bars, societies and stadiums, temples, streets and associations. We are souls that need community, a common cause and a place to belong. But this is God's design, the church. But you've probably only seen a shadow of it. Humankind took it and warped it. Religion got hold of it, shut the door and put a lock on it. But please, see it for how it was meant to be. Turn misunderstanding upside down. Wipe clean your history. It's not the place in which we gather, but it's those that do, whether two or two thousand. It's those that have become the living stones, building the all-inclusive kingdom of God. It's not the event, it's the people on the mission. In fact, God never even called it church, and those in it, Jesus never even called them Christians. This is beyond categories and denominations, boundaries and boxes. We are simply followers, trying to place our footsteps on that beautiful, narrow path, together. People of the way, the ecclesia, the gathering, the community, in communion, with the greatest commission, the good news distribution. Not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of everyone else. We meet, we catalyze, but we don't remain inside the walls. Using earthly gifts for eternal purpose. Shaping culture with selfless passion. Flawed and faulty, yet by grace we found God. And now we find our purpose with people. And this is the place for every person. Anyone. Anywhere. You don't need a membership fee, no initiation, no qualifications. Grace says you belong, already. Christ showed us what true love is. Now through this, we show it back. With his life, Christ bought our right to be called children of God. And this is the eternal global family, sisters and brothers, adopted through the only Son. We are the mirror called to reflect the Father's heart the light on the hill, not selfishly consuming, but forever consumed by Christ, taking what God has done inside, outside. The world needs this. This is what we are meant to be. To be. We were created for community. We were created to love and to be loved. You know, in the Old Testament, we're told that David said of his friend Jonathan that he was strengthened in the Lord by Jonathan. If you have a friend who strengthens you in the Lord, that is invaluable. And we're called to be people who strengthen each other in the Lord. Next week, I'm going to begin a sermon series on the book of 1 John. I'm really excited about it. I really want you to be here. It's one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It is practical. It is one of the most beautifully written books in Scripture. It's going to remind us of the blessings that we have in Christ. But this morning, I don't want you to forget or take for granted the blessings that we have with each other.
in Christ, to be sure. Christ is, is our commonality. But the blessings that we have being a part of a church family, the blessings that we have of being a part of this church family, and the blessing that we can be to one another. Travis has a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. If there's anything that our family can be praying for you about, anything that's going on in your life that you need to bring before the Father, uh, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium to meet with you, and we'll help you in any way that we can if you'd meet us there. Let's stand and sing. Oh,